for The Daily Review, a podcast dedicated to reviews and discussion of TV, movies, and books. Look for us at Daily Review on Facebook and Twitter and dailyreview.com on the web. That's D-A-L-E-Y review.com. This is Paul Daly here with my wife, Caroline. Hey, guys. And tonight we're here to discuss the 15th episode of the second season of NBC's This Is Us. This episode was called The Car. When I heard the synopsis of this episode being told as the family's life told through the, the point of view of the car, it gave me this like weird Herbie the love bug kind of vibe. Like, what do you mean told through the car? Like, I mean, it's not like the car is going to be like, I had some good times with the Pearsons. Like, really weird. It was just such a strange way to to yeah. summarize it. it was the, the, so, the so car, weird. the car figured pretty prominently in this episode, and in in a way, cars have played. Uh, you know, it's not, they're not, it's it's not like the Millennium Falcon here. It's not like another character, but he did have that hot rod that was his, you know, pride and joy for several years. Did you know that that Chevelle was, is actually Milo's real life car? No, I didn't. Yeah. When they were like looking for a car for Jack to be driving, they were kind of looking around, looking around if they happen to see his and they were like, Do, can we just use yours? And he was like, yeah. That is, that's pretty awesome. And then for him to trade it in to get, you know, some beater station wagon, because, you know, that's, I mean, I'm a dad that had to get rid of my Mustang for a Camry. So I understand, Jack. <laughs> I get you. Three car seats fit in very few Mustangs, y'all. So yeah, we had to trade that dog so, in. So cars, though, have been, you know, even though the car is like a big deal in this episode, cars have been a deal throughout. And I think just in everyone's lives, you know, there's so many times when you can look back and be like your first car. And that sort of represents maybe your, you know, high school years or what have you, your college years. And then, like you said, maybe your bachelorhood, your pre family, then you have like the family car. And, you know, so many men, when they get a certain age, you know, trade that all in for the sports car. And there it, it is iconic in families to have that symbol of like, well, what do you drive? If someone says, I drive a caravan, you're like, I know enough about you. <laughs> right? right? Am I right? Like, I right. know everything I need to the know about you. The picture's complete. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, in uh, previous episodes, the stock of Crock-Pot was really shaky. I think the stock of the old Grand Wagoneer shot through the roof. Yeah. Did Well, I mean, did you notice the there were Jeep ads? Oh, yes. Oh, and Jeep plus, ads. did you see they're bringing back the Grand Wagoneer for 2018? Like this, this car hasn't been around you in sure? some time. That's what it said. That's that's what I read. That's hilarious. Yeah, no, that this is if it was fake, then they got me. I, I'm embarrassed. They they snagged me. But that's what that article I read. Well, the Wagoneer was very much a, a, a product of its time. You know, it had kind of that retro Woody Wagon feel, but mm -hmm. then it also had the... You know, for, for the kids out there, before we started calling things SUVs, the, that's when the Wagoneer kind of existed, you know, and it filled that niche before people knew they wanted it, you know, so it, 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 it was slightly us. cooler than the station wagon or oh, it like, was. it wasn't like that dorky thing. It was like, so you're a little more rugged family guy. Like, like even as Jack describes it, like you need, we needed a tough, a tough, solid, sturdy car. Like, so you can't have just sort of like this mom car. It needed to be like just so tough. But it was Jeep's, I think it was Jeep's top of the line product. So it also meant you were 
strongly middle class at least, or you couldn't afford it, you know? I like that. So I am going to talk about this episode structure in a little bit different way. Um, And typically when you guys listen to us, we talk about all the flashbacks together and then we talk about all the current day. But because so much of this um, had this really interesting balancing act between two scenes within the episode, we felt like we needed to talk about it a little more like yin and yang. And To be very clear with that, when I say that, I don't mean it in like an opposite way, like first it was this way and then like first it was good and then it was bad. I don't mean it like that, but I mean more that circle swirling of life of like it started off here and it went here and you kind of get the feeling like we're still flowing. It's not over where it ended, you know, it's not the completion of that. It's just that was the next step of the journey, you know? It's not even like two sides of the coin exactly. It's just more like they match. They're a matched pair in yeah. a lot of cases. So let's give it like a first example. So like the purchasing of the Wagoneer and they, they you know, it reminded me of the Cosme show um, when Bill was like, you know, we got to dress all dirty and raggedy so they don't know we have money. Like it's very important to prey on the salesperson's guilt and worry and everything. And yeah. that was like, you know, Jack's entire whole feel as well. Like, let's bring the kids in, no babysitter, have them squawking and acting a fool so that we can be like, look, we're in over our heads sir what can you possibly do to help us also i wanted to mention just structurally about this you'll notice that this scene that caroline's talking about uses the um the tween kids right and this is a rare episode that's not only like all flashback but one that mixes the kid generations you know the, mm-hmm. the tweens and the teen generations all in one one story true so that's interesting you know that because what, what it resulted in is they probably had like an hour and a half worth of tv that they filmed you know yeah because it felt the transitions felt very abrupt in this episode compared to normal i know that this is a show that jumps forward and back and all that but this one jumped i mean it was jumpy you know what i mean yeah um so it was a little jarring from time to time but they had to they since it was pretty deliberate that they wanted to do this matched pair scene structure they had to fit everything in because if they left one dangling you know right and i'm gonna say that it actually goes to the mood of the the family you know this wasn't a time when everybody was feeling like all fluid and flowing like this was a time when everything was completely jarring every second of what was happening felt like you know you sort of close your eyes for a second you open your eyes and you're like in a different place you're like what the hell is happening now it all feels that way so um another little like small example of when they were getting the car that reminded me of this this kind of back and forth that we're getting is last week uh repeatedly rebecca kept saying to jack you're so good she said it over and over to him. You're so good. And he would say, I try. He'd say, you're so good. I try. This time when they were in the um, the showroom and he like kind of lays out this plan that he's going to lay this guilt trip, she goes, you're so bad. And it was like, bam, 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 just flipping the page back and forth, back and forth, you know? Yeah. So I, I thought that that was, um, you know, just one more example. So one of the big scenes that we have once they've solidified getting this car, which how in the world do you think Jack actually did that? Like, you know, with he, his speech. I mean, but there's, what, what the salesman, I mean, he wouldn't sell it for less than they got it. But I mean, you think he put just took into off it all of his commission and everything. I think he probably kept enough to 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 do the paperwork, but yeah, that's how you. That's the only way you would do it, unless the manager came in and said, "Okay, we'll." 
will take a, a loss on this car, which is <laughs> probably not. What did you think of uh, about the actual speech? It was inspiring. It's like all the stuff you want to say when you, when you're sitting in the uh, car guy's office, but you never think to say it all. And I mean, it was so you know poetically put, and it was just turned all the screws the right way. I mean, if you, that salesman didn't stand a chance against this speech. <laughs> Do you think that many a salesman in the future may hear a Jack Pearson-like speech they, coming at them? They may actually put that speech in car salesman training as like, you know, you got to get your defenses up, boys, because, you know, <laughs> some, girls. Cause Jack is going to come in one day and he's going to take all your commission for that whole day. Unless unless you, you know, you keep, keep your resolve. You get, maybe they'll like give them a speech back where they say, well, sir, I also have a family that I'm trying to feed and I can't just <laughs> give you my product. Right. Right. Like they're going to have to do something. You're right. To like give them some fortification to deal with those. Because I think after people see how well that worked. <laughs> get ready get ready car dealerships i think you're gonna hear this spiel so when they're actually leaving and they show them all piling into the car and everyone is so smiley because this is so far beyond their expectations of what they were gonna get and you know it is it's i've never bought the car that's actually parked inside the building have you? No, no. That's like pretty damn exciting. They put the good ones in there. I can't imagine a brand new car that's actually parked in a building. I never get that. <laughs> that's crazy. So, you know, when they're actually, they're so, so, so smiley. And that keeps flipping on the scene of them getting in the car at the motel with Rebecca honking the horn and frowning and the color grade shifts to that. Mm -hmm. You know, this is winter. It sucks. Death is all around us. It's blue cast. Um, we're in this motel, which made me wonder like, what up, Miguel? I mean, come on, kick him out after two days. Cause the timeline is pretty firmly established about the Kevin's getting his cast off, blah, blah, blah. And so, yes, it has only been a couple of days. Since yeah. I mean, I don't feel bad about the Miguel thing. I think honestly, they probably felt like they needed to have their own space, you know, that they needed to. And those rooms were already, she had already gotten rooms. That was what she was doing when she was in the hospital. So she had already made those reservations. Yeah. Yeah. So I think and she they, wanted to sleep in that kind of mama bear uh, mode, I think. I think so. And I think, you know, you know, there's sometimes when like an, another adult might want to stick around and it could just be you and the kids and you're sort of like, uh, I'm good. Like you could just <laughs> go because, you know, you're really obligated to Miguel then to sort of like deal with him as opposed to just dealing with yourself and the kids. And I, yeah, I could see where that would be like very taxing. Like beat it, Miguel. <laughs> well, not being it much. Okay, so right away we are getting into the next sort of flipped scene where we have, you know, in the previous episode, Jack passing away with no Rebecca. And we spend this entire episode on the flip of Rebecca basically chasing the urn around. I was afraid that she was going to go to pieces or she was going to turn on the kids and be like, yo, you know, because if they had left when she was ready in the car, then they would have been there before the man set the urn down. But they were there after the man set the urn down. So I thought there was a chance, but I'm glad. Well, both the Kevin and Kate, um, you know, banter that was going on around getting to the cemetery was very unfamiliar to me. I've been to a lot of funerals. I have had my my parents lose uh, their their parents, not their spouses, but I can't imagine talking back to my parents during that time. Like, I can't imagine being like, God, why do we have to go? God, mom. Like, 
I, I understand they're 17, but I really don't understand their complete lack of decorum at all. Funerals are famous for people saying things that they regret. For instance, with Kevin, I'm so curious to know if he just tied his own damn tie or if he let Randall do it because he wasn't going to do it. He wasn't going to back in my band days. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a rule against wearing your uniform partially if you just had like the buttons undone or you took off some piece of the accoutrements or That's something like funny. that okay so the rule was you're either wearing it or you're not okay no in between huh and more or less for days like funerals i feel the same way about suits you're either wearing it or you're not there's no such thing as going to a funeral wearing a suit and not having a tie <laughs> You know? Well, I felt like, again, like, I, and, I, and I'm not putting like Randall himself, like on some sort of pedestal. I'm just saying I identify with Randall's thinking, like when he's like, you're not going to wear a tie to dad's funeral. Like there's some parts to it that I, I don't understand. It's like Kevin and Kate were raised in a completely different household with completely different values and manners and rules that I don't understand because this is a third kid and the mother acts the same as the kid. And it's kind of confusing to me about why they're allowed to sort of like back talk. And so my, my mother would have bit my effing head off in that parking lot. I mean, right. she would have turned and screamed as would your mother. So you can say whatever you want about freaking way. Our mothers would say your mother. I mean, I would, if it was my kids, I'd be like, not today. You no, know? but I'm just saying like, this is not the time or place you would not have dared to snot back at your mom on such a day, you know? So I just, I just can't, I don't know. I can't relate to these two. The whole conversation that Kate decides to have in the car, kind of whining about Louie again, like, oh my God, like, oh, I didn't get to, I didn't put him in the crate. So he's going to pee on the rug because you rushed me. And she's like, mm. fine, Kate, then Louie's going to pee all over the rug. That's what's going to happen then. Well, you know, and she's decided she's annoyed with the dog just, you know, the love affair's over. So of course he's going to pee all over all of our stuff, right? So how would you have handled that? Like if you were driving the car and the spouse died, even if just maybe partially because he went in after the dog, just let's say partial, let's just give it like 10%. Would you like have been able to handle Kate sort of being like, you know what? I mean, I just can't imagine all the emotions that Rebecca was actually going through. And then having these two be so just non-compliant, you know, just just not on the same page as what, you know, she was trying to do. So let's talk a little bit about the actual memorial service, because it was very much how you spoke about like that really jarring, fast clipping. You can't barely even make out who they're looking at. We've talked about that. We've we've been party to a couple of funerals in our lifetime, but never in that inner circle of, you know, like the first rung out from the person you know, family-wise, just maybe the second or third rung. Even with that level of experience, you do get that that feeling of of disjointedness in your own memories. You know, maybe it's just because you don't want to sit back and ponder on funerals because they're sad and they make you sad, and so there's no real reason to just keep going over it so the memory fades over time. But still, what you do remember comes out a lot like they edited this. You know, like. 
10 years from now, they would remember, yeah, M- Miguel spoke, right? Yeah, he spoke. And Randall, he, he he stood up and said some, yeah, Randall said some nice things. I'm curious if Kate and Kevin said anything. We don't know because I kind of got the impression that the gaps between people were sort of Rebecca going into a daze, you know, and then she would kind of come to. Well, it, had, it was it was intercut with like some just kind of weird, like between the shoulders kind of angles, you know, which is the kind of shit that you do remember from sh- funerals, you know, just like, you know, you're listening, but you're kind of looking off and you're seeing the way the tree kind of makes a silhouette over the sky or whatever. It's just like that imprints on your memory for some reason. Yeah. That's the kind of stuff that they were intercutting here. What did you think about the end where, um, you know, she, she was asking like, what happens next? What happens next? And the guy was like, well, so I'll take the urn to the reception. Oh, and she was like, no, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's too little too late, but it echoes the, I just want more time with my family kind of thing from Jack's mouth. Um, there was another moment within that she actually grabs it and holds it very much like you would a baby. Like it's not, it's not like she cradles it, but she holds it in front of her body and like a very protective, like her whole body is around it. And if you know, when they leave the tree after they spread the ashes, she gives it to Kate to carry. So she, mm. she stops being the sentry and, and lets Kate carry it. I noticed like when uh, the scene, when she abruptly leaves the reception, she, kind of picks it up like a football and 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 takes it out that way kind of like what you're saying yeah uh, it, it really changes Kate hugs it more or less yeah i mean, I mean it changes her, it so. changes over the course of the thing like you know at first like i said she's just very very protective of it in front of her and then like you said she kind of handles it handles it not not casually but like a lot more kind of like abruptly moving onto the tree and then at the tree she she releases it to Kate to be in charge of carrying. So I thought that that was, you know, again, like a really lovely small, small moments is what they keep asking us to look at. Small way to show, you know, Rebecca's progression and even how she passed to that sort of like, I'm going to say like guarding of Jack's memory or whatever onto Kate. And it's, that's like, it was like almost a very official thing that you saw happen, like passing the torch, you know? Yeah, I think that foreshadows that now she takes care of the urn forever. Yeah, right? I don't know. I wonder how long it will take for that to happen, um, for her to actually officially, you know, take it on as hers. That it will be interesting. I'm sure that story will come out. So let's keep talking about Kate because um, she does have some very poignant moments, uh, both with Jack and then and then after Jack's passing. We start with these sort of like vignettes of Jack driving the car or things that happened having to do with the car. And one of them is Jack's like driving to work. And I don't know how you would feel, but he sees Kate at a bus stop on a Thursday at 10 o'clock on a school day. Super pissed. Super pissed. I mean, but it is very Jack-like that he, he heard her out and decided it was worthy and helped her out. What do you think about this like exchange of music that like you like cracked up when he said the Atlantis? Who's this Atlantis character? Yeah, I mean, for Such all dad. For, for all of us that lived through the mid 90s, Alanis Morissette released one of those albums that kept her going in the on the charts for like 3 years, right? Jagged Little Pill had like seven or eight songs that everybody knew, which is, you know, no one has that anymore. So, or they do infrequently anyway. So the point is 
You don't have to be a complete hermit. You don't have to be completely connected to pop culture to have known who Alanis Morissette. She would have been on SNL. She would have been on Letterman. She would have been... My mom and dad would not know who she was. Your dad knew who Garbage was in 1994, (laughs) okay? That's a little more... Why do you know that? ...esoteric than Why do you know he knew Garbage in 1994? Because you told me he was singing uh, I'm Only Happy When It Rains one day. Oh, jeez. God. Man, you remember the craziest shit. Okay, so I would like to think that if I saw Kate at the bus stop um, as a mom. So wait, let, like, me, let me finish that oh, thought. Oh, I'm so, so sorry. Go ahead. I think he was giving her a hard time. I think he, chances are he might have known, but you know, that's what dads do. They they say things like Atlantis. It's it's in the guidebook. <laughs> it's right there. Is it? You know? Do they give you guys that stuff? It's like chapter three. That's what you mean? were learning in health class when we were learning about other right. things. When you have kids, uh, you can create banter by... Talking about their stuff in a in a goofy way that that doesn't exactly mock it, but pretends that you're not interested. They're yeah. like, say crap like grapele. Yeah, stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. So I would like to think that if I came upon one of our kids, I mean, my first obvious thought would be safety. Like, does anyone like I'm scared that you're out here on the road? This is a pre-cell phone era. It is. And so, I mean, it would be spooky at first, you know, once I was like sure that like everything was okay, and they told me why they were doing this. I would like to think that I am the mom that would not drive them back to school, but would drive them to the music store. Now, here's the thing that would happen. He just dropped her off and I assume went on to work. I wouldn't probably do that. I think that I would stick around and as soon as she got her autograph, I would drive her to school. That's what I think my sequence of events would be. I don't think I would have just played the Uber driver. She's still downtown, right? <laughs> I mean, she obviously was comfortable like traveling on the buses. And that's one thing that like we don't have here where we live. We're not we're in a suburban area. So we don't have mass transit. They lived clearly in a place where they took buses and it was way more mm, comfortable. Yeah, so yeah. I guess I want to say you know, and plus times have changed. I mean, where we're, I feel like we're more protective of our kids ever than ever before. I, you know, I was allowed to play without my mom knowing where I was all day and it was no big deal. She wasn't after me looking for me. <laughs> we were allowed to do some pretty crazy shit uh, in, in this same time frame. Uh, yeah. Yeah. What? Uh, we were just allowed to drive all over the great state of Texas, completely unsupervised, um, several times before we even graduated high school. What were we up to? We were such a scene, weren't we? We God. were. God. And again, like, you know, so you so you want to think, all right, then this was not as big of a deal. And so would you have driven her to the to the music shop or would you have driven her to school? There's the discipline part of it, which sucks because you don't want to mess that up. But on the other hand, there's the... He really wants her to treat music seriously. This, he thinks, is part of it. So he'd rather feed that than, as, as, as your dad probably would, would not approve of, going back to pre-Cal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a whole different thing. Here's a, he, here's, a, here's a very fast story. He knew I wasn't going to become a mathematician. So in many ways, it was the opposite, but the same sentiment. Caroline had played softball her entire life. She came out of the womb with a bat. And senior year, she flirts with the idea of dropping varsity softball in favor of more college prep, like pre-cal. She ran the idea by her dad. He told her, fuck pre-cal. <laughs> you guys, went back my dad to dinner or is whatever. a genius level 
uh, IQ and went to Ivy League schools and stuff. So he's not in any way anti-college. And I, I went to University of Texas, but his concept of was like, that is not your path, girl. Like pre-cal is not where it's at for you. And it never was. I mean, please, math is terribly hard for me. And and that's not my calling. So I understood what he was saying. Of Same like, kind of deal. You've right? always been an athlete. Follow your your story. And that you're right. That is exactly what was happening. Jack there. wants to feed what he thinks is the most most important, likely to help her succeed and feel successful part of her i liked it and and you know and of course as we've seen in in all the episodes before all this you know we know what happened to her music you know time and and how she ended up being um you know walking away from it for a long period of time um you know we've already seen the little snippets of her coming back to it so it's nice to see that we already have some hope but we know that there's like a long period of time 20 years essentially when she walks away from music the big factor here was the continuing theme, even with the dog, that he just can't disappoint her, you know, just can't, can't bring himself to not take her to the ice cream shop, not save her dog out of a burning building, you know, not let her go to Atlantis more. So he just can't say no. So let's talk about that dog for just a second, because we did kind of kind of nip on that convo. But it is that sort of like, you know, back and forth, flip the page thing. So, you know, she has this love of the dog and it's like everything to her and she begs for him. And of course, we have this questionable. He did it for the love of the girl who loved the dog. And then now she's saying she can't keep the dog and it's too much for her. I can see it from both perspectives. I I could be like, I can't look at this dog. I know. And then I could see it from the parent point of view, like you're living with that dog for the rest of your life well and not even being nasty about it but like the dog is a living thing to throw it out like it's a like it's a piece of garbage is not going to bring your dad back and like why are you going to hurt another living thing that you've already rescued like that's that's my part it's less like you know you're going to keep that dog because it's like some sort of shitty punishment to you or something it's not like that punishment but like I mean, I guess but it wasn't in vain, right? That he didn't go in in vain to then right. just have you not have the dog. Right. Right. But right. but I think it's like for me, it goes even a step beyond that. Like we did save the dog's life. So let's make sure it has a good life. Let's not just like, you know, toss it away. Yeah. The uh, I think there's a Chinese saying it's uh, the life you save is your own or something like that. Nice. Yeah. Uh, so I love that. It, you do get you know, some ownership, I guess, over the idea. Like if you save somebody then or dog, so, then we'll you're, you're responsible for them. We'll definitely have to wait and see like, what is the outcome? You know, does Louis live a long life with them and, you know, pass away at a ripe old age of just natural causes or does she give the dog away? Do you have a prediction on that? Mm, she's going off to college soon. I bet the dog stays home with Rebecca. Okay. All right. So it's sort of a sort of a a medium answer, right? She yeah. doesn't continue with it, but she also doesn't give it away. Right. Although I don't think she went to college. So Well, she might have gone away. Uh, she is gonna go away. <laughs> I mean, Rebecca's already told us that Kevin and Kate took off and Randall stuck around. So I do think that they are gonna leave and it is maybe gonna be one of those like can't really take the dog with me. So, you know, she ends up leaving. But you know what? The fact that Kevin and Kate do choose to leave and they don't stick around with Rebecca means that I think these next couple of months 
I think that the current day, we're going to see some great stuff with us moving forward with Toby and Kate's wedding. Uh, you know, we've seen some little clips of that, but also there was that sort of foreshadowing of we can't get married until you tell me the story of your father. And now that the story's out there, I feel like this is like all... All systems go. Yes. All green lights. Just go, 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 go. So, and I think that it's the finale will be her, their wedding. My only, my only like kind of question is like, it kind of seemed like we left this episode with the family in kind of a good place. And we'll definitely talk about that. So then for Kevin and Kate to leave, it makes me think that the flashbacks are not going to be like, things didn't go smooth. Like they didn't all just gel together. And, you know, they all came with a great, happy decisions together you know what i'm saying like it seems like uh oh like they are perhaps going to fracture here so it, it will be interesting to see what happens next but let's talk a little bit about kind of going to our flashback section of we have our boys you know we've got kevin and randall and they had quite a quite a chunk of the story this time we start with the flashback of you know the driving lesson i have a little bit of a question here because randall says this is the very first time he's driving and they're sort of like starting on the side of the road uh sort of as if maybe it's like on their street but it's like already parked to the side of the road. And what I what I was thinking about was, do you remember that when in Randall's dream, Jack meets William, Jack is telling William the story of the first time Randall drove. Yes. And he says that he slammed on the gas so hard and so fast that he flew out of the driveway like, quote, a bat out of hell. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, this is confusing because in this scene, when we saw this, Randall is clearly never slammed on an accelerator like a bat out of hell he is very timid and to the point of of kevin mocking him and saying like you're an idiot and you're going so slow and blah 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 so i was kind of like i don't really get where that story came you know and randall clearly says this is my first time kevin don't give me a hard time if you if you want to give the show runners a pass, then you would say this attempt went so badly that they struck it from the records and the next time they practice was actually more of what they consider to be their first go around. But okay, so then after almost being in an accident, you're suggesting on the second go around where we erase the first go around, he slammed on the accelerator so fast it was like a bat out of hell. That's the only way you fix the story <laughs> for continuity. Because that seems like an odd choice too. P.S. You'd start in a parking lot. Not, of course. Not, not on your neighborhood street. <laughs> or like go, like merging into traffic and stuff they were doing. Holy smokes. Yeah. Crazyville. So um, what did you think trying really hard for our friend Ellen to not be a, a knee-jerk reaction to Kevin. What did you think about their sort of like back and forth? Not only just in that, but then we have the scene from the memorial of Kevin grabbing Ra Randall, yelling at him, making a big scene at the reception. What do you make of all this? Well, for one thing, it felt like some of these scenes were not exactly in like a one, two, three, four kind of sequence, you know, like the part where Randall says your cast is rubbing against my leg and, and what's his face? Uh, Kevin is like, at least you have a functioning leg. I think that scene in the show played out before the driving lesson, you know? Okay. And the driving lesson would have been before that. 
right? Well, there, I assume they were 16 when they were doing the driving lesson and the cast was 17. Yeah. So I'm just assuming they were 16. I don't know. So there's kind of a smattering of uh, angsty Kevin throughout the episode. The The stuff, particularly with the funeral, he has a right to that feeling of dad only had one watch. Why wasn't I in on the the watch discussion? You know, right. The the factor that makes him seem petulant is the time and place factor that kids don't really get right that much. You know, um, grabbing him at the reception and kind of kind of causing a miniature scene there. Um, I mean, it causes Rebecca to run out. That's a pretty big freaking scene. A, a good sized scene. So yeah, it's the time and place element there that that's that. The feeling is forgivable. The action is What about his actual less. words to Randall? That you should have saved dad. You could have saved dad. And we, this is like your fault. And if I was there, I would have saved him. We talked about this last uh, podcast. And I think uh, given the way that, that Randall analyzes things and thinks about things, I bet he gave voice to uh, a fear that that Randall already possessed, you know, and that hearing another person say it, you know, if you think something, but but you're not sure if anyone knows it, that's one thing. But if someone says what you're thinking that's bad about yourself, then you're like, oh, fuck, no one, everybody knows, everybody knows, you know. (laughs) And and so that's kind of probably why he was sort of paralyzed you know at the at at him at his brother saying this to him you know well no he did smart back i mean he did say kevin you weren't there were you yeah but that i mean that's not exactly like pushing him in the chest or something that's more like stating a fact true very true jack uses his story about nikki to try to inspire the boys to find a way to treat each other more like brothers this is like another little taste of what must be some more Nikki stuff off in the future. I definitely expect so. I mean, he mentions, you know, this capsulated version of the family story. Like, you know, dad, my dad was drunk. My mom was depressed. Nikki and I went to war and he died. Not really happy to talk about. So I feel like, okay, then I do think that that opens the door to like, be like, all right, now we got to go. Find out exactly what happened to Nikki. Is this the kind of show that would kind of Don Draper this thing? And Nikki's actually alive, but he's dead to Jack. Or because Milo has described Jack as uncomplicated. So we've heard people say things like Nikki might be alive, whatever, like in different after show kind of things. And with Milo said, he's, he's, he's uncomplicated. He just, you know, he works through problems and, but he's, but I think that Miles probably selling Jack a little short when he says he's uncomplicated because Jack keeps a lot of secrets, you know? Yes. So there's some layers there. And some amount of like, I'm going to figure out how much to tell you and how much to keep to myself, which is not an uncomplicated person. You know, an uncomplicated person to me is somebody who lays it out. Yeah, who tells it all. Or lays nothing out. Good or bad, or, you know, has to take the the good for the bad. This is who I am kind of things. Holding stuff back and hiding stuff and sort of being very selective about what you dole out. I don't know. I mean, that is more complicated as far as I'm concerned. 
But when it comes to this Nikki stuff, I'm going to go with, I think he's actually dead. I think he probably is dead as well because they did have that scene. Remember when they visited Howard and they then went to go visit um, the Vietnam Memorial and he points to a name on the the board. Mm. They don't show the name, but I think that it's reasonable for us to think it was probably Nikki. I mean, he's told us he's dead. We did go to a war memorial. I I mean, I think, (laughs) again, I mean... I do need to say for like a minute that I do have a little bit of a issue. This is going to be a little bit of a of a tangent, so bear with me. But I do have a little bit of an issue with how this show is really so fixated on the concept that they want to hide and reveal things in a certain way that they actually don't do things in a way that would have naturally happened. So let me give you an example. I was listening to some after show stuff with Milo and he said that they did film a lot of scenes where he was coughing, but they chose in editing to take it out because they didn't want to tip the hand that he was going to have like an an emerging problem or a bigger problem in the hospital. I think that's kind of chicken shit because when you remove sections like that and then you just make it to where he's fine and then he's dead, it makes us as viewers like, I don't appreciate the surprise factor more than I would have appreciated a true retelling of what happened. Yeah. If he had been coughing a whole bunch, I want to see that. And and it's not so important to me that you have a jump out surprise party every time there is you know, something you want to reveal to me. I don't need that. So if Nikki turns out to be alive, I'm going to feel kind of the same way. Like, but you brought me to the war memorial. You had Jack said he was dead. I don't think you can say he's an uncomplicated man. And then just to get a rise out of me, have Nikki turn out to be alive. Like, I think that that that's crappy, you know? Good point. And there's other portions that were like that. And, and you brought this one up. Now that we know that Jack p- passed away of a heart attack and that Kate very much blames herself, the fact that she is uh, engaged to a man who has she witnesses in a dramatic fashion smashing through the coffee table at Christmas and ends up having a heart attack, having had a heart attack. There is no way that you are telling me that Kate did not draw some parallels between her father dying suddenly and Toby rushing across the country like on a red eye to meet her. And then maybe that like he was there for her. Right. Causing some stress to his. Well, they broke up. Imperfect body. She broke up with him. Right. She broke up with him. He rushes to make this big show of love to her. And then he has a heart attack. What makes me a little a little uh, about that is that I know that they hid any normal reaction she would have had in order to keep the element of surprise that Jack dies of a heart attack. Mm. But it's extremely unreasonable that she would have had a fiance go through She'd have been this saying series. shit like not again. You know? Yes. 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 She would have had a thousand questions for the heart doctor and a thousand concerns. Now I know that she was like, if there's a surgery that can fix it, I want you to do it. But I'm sorry. I think she would have felt that way, whether her father passed or didn't pass that way. That's not the part. But I think the initial and Rebecca was standing there too. How would Rebecca not have been like, not again from Rebecca? Every family member would have had a response. But I know it's because the show didn't want to tip us off. They wanted us to completely keep guessing how Jack died. I don't like that. 
I don't like it at all. I don't think it's necessary. I think the story is is good and layered and fascinating and I'm I'm all in. So you don't have to keep pulling me like that. And I notice- really don't like you to leave out the details in order to try to surprise me. Did you notice in one of those after shows when they were interviewing a couple of the EPs that weren't Fogelman yes. and Ken Nolan? It was the other couple of guys. Yep. One of them, they both said that this is the sort of situation where they had a pitch for the show. They had an idea where they wanted to go, but they didn't necessarily have all the pieces in place for future seasons. Right. So that would explain why last season... They might not have written in some lines that would have made more sense later, you know, but um, it was, I agree with you about this stringing along information stuff. There's a, there's a, there's a part of that that's dramatic, but then there's a part of it where it feels like you're watching like 24 or something, you know, where it's like intentionally stringing you along in this kind of melodramatic way, which is a lot less satisfying. And so, uh, this EP was like, we had this idea about the death and we knew that we could probably string people along for several seasons, just dropping little hints. And I was like, you're the guy. <laughs> but weirder than that guy. to me. Okay. So, but on that precise point, they knew how Jack was going to die from the very first episode and they didn't have Kate react. It would be different if... They determined that Jack was going to die of a heart attack in season four after they had already shot season one and Toby had that heart attack and Kate didn't have this big response, but they just kind of had to kind of just like let that go because then later they they actually made Jack have a heart attack. But it was a part of the pitch. And he actually said Jack's way of death and that that was they've used up all of their initial proposals of what was going to be in the story. That was the last chunk that was left of what was written from the original. These are the different plot points. So going forward now, these are all fresh plot points. Mm. So what what I'm like gritting my teeth about is that they knew they were going to have the father die of a heart attack and they made Toby have a heart attack and they had no one in the family act like a heart attack was anything to be con- like super duper over the top upset about, which matches Nothing to the way that the family responds year after year after year of their family, you know, having this death. So I don't know. Like I said, I really I know that's a tangent and and but it's something that I know people are complaining on the chat boards on, on Facebook a lot about some of the continuity stuff that you and I've talked about, like what the hell is the distance between New Jersey and Pittsburgh and how in the hell do they drive back and forth like it's just going down the street like people are really starting to have some you know legitimate like not trying to be a jerk about continuity as much as it pulls you out of the story when you're like that's not feasible like you couldn't do that so I it's hard when people like say on the east coast see that and say but but you couldn't be there and you couldn't do that. So now you've, you're telling me this is like a real life story and now you're doing things that are like superhuman. That's just weird, you know? Well, any human that has ever had to breathe smoke for any period of time. Is gonna w- cough. And yeah. And so to die 
of a complication from smoke inhalation Without and only ever really coughing. Right. No, 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 like big, like hacking coughs no, leading I mean, up to that. Small little coughs, but barely anything, barely anything. But I think that it's, I mean, I don't know. I made my point, I feel like, but, but I really, I, I really am begging that they don't keep doing this, that they don't purposely take situations and say, okay, we filmed a very, uh, very smart, very natural set of, of scenes. Now let's cut some out so that we don't tip the hand to this reveal that feels cheap, you know, like let the reveal be what it is, you know, and it doesn't have to be like a do 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 do. I mean, he could have still been coughing and Rebecca still go get call the kids and stuff, mm-hmm. you know? And so it, it's like, it's, it wouldn't have ruined it for me, right. you know? So I don't know. I do want to go back to the boys and say that it was one of Jack's really big moments with them to say like, you've got, you've got, you've got to understand how important you are to each other. And you've got to, you know, be friends with one another. And that's what really, I guess, also bothered me was that it was like, you know, that that story was only just a couple of months before he passed, you know, maybe a year before he passed. And yet here they are still the same old shit. You know, do you feel like it was a turning point for real when Kevin finally like reaches out to Randall in the car on the way home and kind of pats his arm, kind of being like, you know, it's it's okay that you have the watch kind of thing. Is this a true turning point? Kevin has his moments, young and old, where he does let the, you know, the persona back and and show what he what he really feels. And so I don't know that it was a turning point, but it's it was true in the moment. He he didn't do it because he his he felt like his mom wanted him to. He did it because he felt like he needed to tell Randall it's cool. Uh, it's not a big deal about the watch. Well, but okay. My question though is, is he going to rein it in from here on out? Or was that just like a moment of calm about the watch? Or was this like, I'm really going to, I really think it was dad's wishes that I, that we be friends. Dad's gone. If there's anything we can do to sort of like preserve his legacy, I, I am going to make an effort to be friends with Randall. And I hope Randall would be friends with me. If Kevin's whole life has been like what he committed to at the tree last week, it's possible that he would kind of approach big projects as like singular objectives, you know, like I'm going to be nicer to Randall. I may not be nice to everybody, or I may, <laughs> but I'm going to try to try to be nicer to Randall, you know, so I could see that being like his 17 to 25 year old, you know, I'm really project. Hoping. I'm really hoping. As you, as you pointed out, you know, but at some point during the college years, mm-hmm. he assists Randall woo Beth. Right. So they must be palsy at that point, but palsy, not enough. Yeah. But let me point this out, but not enough for Beth to know that they were palsy because she's shocked that Kevin helped Randall get her. So it's not like they were so peas in a pod that Beth would have been so aware of their closeness that it would have been like, well, of course she would have helped. I mean, it was a true shock to her that Kevin would have helped Randall to do that. So that's my only like, huh, I'm not quite sure. I'm really looking forward to them sort of revealing, you know, how this how this went back, you know, to hopefully a better relationship, you know, longer term here. And then also, I really hope that for Kevin that they continue to sprinkle in some moments that, you know, offer some 
balance to these moments that they show that are very negative of Kevin. I mean, there's really no good way, uh, you know, Ellen, hear me out on this one. There is no good way to look at someone grabbing someone's arm in a funeral and yelling at them that they caused the dad's death. Uh, no matter what your motivation, there is no way to chalk that up as anything but a negative moment, right? So I'm hoping that we see some moments more we have had some, like on Halloween, he did give up his candy in order to have the boy walk with Kate. Um, and he didn't ask for any, like, you know, big applause for that. But I feel like we need more of those to continue to try to balance his teeter-totter here. And I hope that there really are some. I hope we haven't seen a lot with teenage Sophie. Um, and so maybe there will be some more kind of like where you feel like, okay, this is a this is a really complicated kid, but he does have that really, really good side too. Well, as we've discussed and as we've heard from other sources, the Kevin story so far has been the easy one. You know, it's a little less interesting. It's a little less emotional. Well, this is what other people are saying, right? They're saying that that he actually hasn't, they feel like that the, the writers haven't serviced him in the same way that they've serviced the other characters with more complex storylines. Right. Which, I mean- Given what they've done with the other characters, we've we've heard the idea of servicing characters before in other shows. And the reason the reason it comes up is because people want to know, well, why didn't you give this character more to do? And it's because, well, there's only so much time in the show and we want to we want to make the scripts reflect what the show is actually about. So it might just be that the show isn't about Kevin so much just yet. You know what I mean? I agree. I think that we talked last episode that I think that, you know, we're sort of cycling through characters, you know, like I think we're really heavy on Jack and I think that we haven't talked a lot about Rebecca. You know, we're really heavy on Randall and we haven't talked as much about Kevin. And so I think that we're going to we're going to keep cycling through as the seasons go. Uh, from what I understand, Rebecca and Miguel are going to take like a much more center stage next season where I think like this last half of the season, Kate and Toby are going to be like the full-time people. So I think that there's a, yeah, I think that you're right, that, that Kevin will have more, more story. So speaking of turning points, we had the really, really tear jerking moment of Dr. K returning. He's like that bench player, you know, that everybody loves to see when they take the field because he doesn't come out that much, but when he does, you're like, all right, Everything's going to be okay now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. He's such a tried and true, you know, like you're like, oh my God. If it's it, And it's also like, I think the part that made it feel like extra gut wrenching is like, but Dr. K only comes in when things are really serious, you know? That's true. And so it's like, it's not like he's been peppered through the story for us. Now it turns out that he shares that he has been peppered through Jack's story. And when you see um, Rebecca's face, she's very like, what? Like, what do you mean he like came and visited you? I loved that reveal because, you know, there's that whole idea of once a person dies, they become a saint, basically, and you don't say anything surprising or negative about them. But but you do amongst people that really are comfortable with the way that they care about that person. You know what I mean? Yes. And so the fact that they could share that little anecdote was 
It was sweet, you know? Yeah. Well, and personally for Dr. K, I was so happy to see that he had married Anne as his second wife. She was the woman that we saw in Dr. K's like spotlight episode where they had him really at his wits end. And he had, you know, really decided that maybe he was going to commit suicide. And it turned out that no, Anne caught his eye in the grocery store and invited him to dinner. And he decided to take her up on that and sort of Come back to life, if you will. So it's probably not an accident that he shows up at Jack's funeral as a widower remarried. Oh, certainly not. Certainly not. And I think that, you know, she was even, I thought, like kind of paid attention to the fact that he was remarried, like was sort of like, oh, you know, I'm so glad you're with, you know, like, ooh, that's so good. It, it felt good. It felt like, a you know, a real true beginning for Dr. K, which was so lovely because you think so later in life, once once you've had your, your love, then that's it. So lovely. And I felt like also talking about sort of beginnings, we had Dr. K come in at the very beginning of this entire series and give these massive pep talks to Jack. And then here we have this sort of flip the page moment of giving this extremely generous pep talk to Rebecca. What did you think about that? I know you objected to the uh, use of bullcrap. But I mean, <laughs> not for like any prudish reasons. I just think it's like a funny word. It's a funny word. It's a little out of place, but it is jarring in that moment. And it, and it, he, it's what he thought she needed to hear. I don't know. It's, it suits the character and it, cranky old men say stuff. <laughs> so, I mean, I was, I was tweeting when he was talking. So when he said it, I looked up, <laughs> you know, it was like, nice. Hmm. He's serious now. I That's mean, true. I mean, he was like, enough's enough. Like, because he kind of coddles her for a while. And it's sort of like, yeah, it's hard. And then he's finally like, enough. You can do this. You are tough. I really liked that he reminded her of the strength that she had after losing the third baby and that she you know still had the strength to adopt another baby and had room in her heart and and managed to get through, a, you know, all the challenges that came with raising three kids. And I think that that was an amazing reminder because, you know, this is something that I think a lot of moms, especially who don't work outside the home, can feel like, you know, I'm, I'm not so great. I'm not so tough. I don't really have any skills. I have a lot of friends now who are wanting to go back to work and stuff. And they'll say, I don't have anything to put on a resume. I, I don't I don't know. I don't have anything. And, you know, it was nice to have a Dr. K type figure be like, no way. Like you're so tough and you, you know, look what you do in a day. Look at how much you, you have done over these years. And, you know, you give yourself credit. I thought it was a really nice overall empowering speech for her. And she takes this and runs with it. Rebecca and moms like her don't, you know, there's no one holding like the Oscars for moms. You know what I mean? No. So no, the fact that <laughs> the fact that she raises three kids, has an alcoholic husband, loses that husband, and then still continues raising the kids and all the kids turn out okay, if not if not wildly successful. You know, there's a couple, I mean, uh Kevin's a millionaire. Right. Right. They, yes. And and they seem to have like sort of ebbs and flows, you know, good times and bad. But but, but they, I mean, in the grand life scorebook, they're, they're not in jail. Right. They're not drug dealers. No, they're no. not prostitutes. They're no. not pimps. So, I mean, we need to give Rebecca that credit that that something she did came out really right. And, and that was what Jack's actual goal was, was that his kids and his wife were OK. That was the word he used. He didn't 
say wildly successful. He said that they're okay. And and you're right. They they are all okay. So let's talk about how they get okay, because we start with this a story about this cancer scare and the favorite tree. We have this entire outlay of this idea that this tree wasn't actually anything. <laughs> it was just that they were waiting for the MRI results. And um, and so Jack sort of scanned around and noticed a payphone close to a tree. And so he just directed Rebecca to the tree and was like, this is my favorite. Let me introduce you to my favorite tree. You know, let's just sit here and talk. And when she's asking things like, you know, why is this your favorite tree? And he's like, because this is the this is where we find out that you're OK. This is uh, I mean, this is gold standard husband stuff, right? Because this is a theme for this show. Rebecca goes to pieces. Jack puts her back together again until he can't anymore. Right. And this is one of those scenes with that has uh, it has a bookend to it. Absolutely. So we have, of course, this is where they're also going to go spread the ashes. You know, we come to find out why are we going to spread the ashes here? Because back at that cancer scare, Jack says, you know, you're going to live forever. I'm, I'm going to go first. I need to not be buried in the ground. And so, you know, I want to be outside. Let me be outside. So that's where we get the, these wishes of his. And they 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 do rush out of the the reception and it seemed a little abrupt but when you really look at it you know i mean she had been so bolstered by dr k's speech about you're going to be okay and you can do this that it seemed like this really natural like let's take the first steps to to moving forward here you know let's let's take these and let's do what jack wanted and 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 let's go to the place where we find out we're okay yeah they and, and they weren't going to find that at the reception like if you've been to a reception for after funeral wake, whatever you want to call it. It's kind of awful for that inner circle of people related directly to the person. And that would have been Rebecca and the kids getting out of there and, and getting that opportunity to spread the ashes and give uh, the boys and Kate their own customized pep talks. That wasn't going to happen at the reception, but she needed to do it and they needed to hear it. You know, what did you think about that? You know, you don't need to become the men of the house. What did what did you think? Well, um, I can't, you know, I identify only a little bit with Kevin, but with with Randall, I could I could very much see where that was a legit fear in his in his heart. You know, like, how am I how am I going to be there for my mom kind of stuff? I know I don't know that he would he would take it to the extent of do I need to go get a job? Do I need to do this? Do I need to do that? What changes now for, for me that mom is alone now? Something's going to be missing that mom's going to need. And am I going to am I going to be enough to, to fill it in? And we had sort of a little a slight little glimpse into this back at the point when Rebecca and Jack are fighting and Jack's going to move to Miguel's and Rebecca comes back and says, let's go to the movies. They go to the movies and it's the seating is Kate, Kevin, Rebecca, Randall. And Randall is like very much fawning over Rebecca to the point where Kevin's like, I think Randall's going to make his move. Right. So I think that he naturally, whenever Jack has been a little bit out of the picture, has stepped into that companionship role for Rebecca. Mm, 
Okay. So I think she could foresee that now that he was gone, that that Randall was 100% going to feel like he needed to step up there. I really appreciated the the words that she she said to the boys. And I think that it was a gigantic gift to them to say that you are to remain kids. You are to go on dates and to have fun and hang out. And, you know, sure, you can help around the house. Sure, I would enjoy that. But I have no higher expectations or no different expectations than that. What an amazing very like open and clean way to be like you don't have to carry around all this on your shoulders and speaking of carrying on shoulders we still had to have the talk with kate again again because we had to talk earlier in the episode about you know the dog and the blame and everything do you think that any of those words were heard really no i think they helped kate get through the the night probably but we know that she still carries that burden to present day she she told Toby, I it's my fault. If if the words had worked, she wouldn't have said that. Yeah, you know? I agree. I feel I felt so good about how that that entire portion ended. It was again those small moments where Rebecca says, you know, your dad always seemed to know how movies were going to end. You know, he could always kind of figure things out. He always seemed to know what was going to come next. And that's a lot of what we've been talking about. This idea of like, did Jack know that he was sick? Did Jack know that something was going on, even if it was at the latest point of actually being in that hospital room and opting to just have a silly moment with Rebecca and not like a I love you so much my and my chest is hurting moment? You know, if he just wanted to have that last moment of seeing her be her smiling face, then he opted knowing his chest was like killing him or whatever, you know, not to say anything. All the way back to like, were there any of those stop-ins with Dr. K where he expressed any concerns? Dr. K was very forthright that he had a lot of fear and a lot of worries. And, you know, he really expressed them to him. Maybe there were some shared moments of like, I've been kind of having these chest pains, you know? So I kind of wonder to those words about his soothsayer ways, hmm. how far in advance could he see and what, what, what did he know? Well, for the purposes of this episode... He knew that they needed that car, <laughs> right? Because it and that's that's how the episode ends, right? With the the speech about the car, with all the flashbacks about yeah. all the bumps and nicks and dropped cokes and all that kind of stuff that's going to take place in the car. Yeah, yeah, and that if you think about it, if they had gotten some used clunker car, it wouldn't have been there for them. It just like it physically couldn't. Ha- it would be you know have already died by then. You know the fact that you know we have that. That, that really nice, again, sort of page turn of the bridge and, you know, initially them going to a concert and it needed to be, you know, Jack needed to calm her down and have her close her eyes to go across the bridge and hold his hand and all this kind of stuff. And then after the spreading of the ashes, again, Rebecca sort of took on this whole new breath where she was like, we're going to be OK to Jack. And so this time they're heading to a concert again. They're heading to the Bruce Springsteen concert that he had bought the tickets for. This time she goes sailing across the bridge with her eyes open. Her hands are tight on the wheel. She even kind of adjusts her grip like I watched her. She even kind of adjusts it and like kind of tightens it, but not in a scared way in like a Resolved. strong, yeah, confident kind of way. And she doesn't even mention the bridge. You know, I mean, she just sails right across it. I don't have time to be scared of little things like that anymore. You know, this is something that I, I've got to do and I'm going to sail ahead. So I thought that that was a really lovely way to end it, the entire story because it really made you feel like, you know, she's going in eyes open with strength with the kids. 
in a better place. They, you know, seem to be um, a little bit more okay than than where we had seen them, certainly at the beginning of the episode. There was one little tiny nugget that didn't really fit into any of our discussion that I do want to mention, that coffee cup. Mm-hmm. If you noticed, you could only see like a little nug of the the wording on the cup and the cup wording was the last drop. Now, I know Mm. that that's like a common saying, like good to the last drop kind of thing, Mm -hmm. but that was the only part you could see. So it was kind of like the upper part of the rim. So it wasn't sort of how that saying normally is. But they showed that, you know, the day before the Super Bowl, they went to go do the shopping for the groceries and that coffee cup had had been left behind. So then, you know, it didn't get thrown out. He passed away that night. Now they're going to the funeral. This is how many days later. That coffee cup is still sitting there. She glances at it, I want to say three or four times, maybe more, all throughout the entire episode. And now my heart is very prepared in a shaky, anticipatory way of who and when is going to throw that cup away. Because at some point in time, either it's going to be somebody who- I need the car for a date. Oh, I got to clean it out. No idea what it is and throws it away. Or Rebecca is going to have some moment where she's like, I actually thought for a second when they all got back in the car, she glances at it again. I kind of, I had this weird moment that, which felt too soon where she was going to pick up the cup and say, Hey, Randall, can you toss this in the trash? Like before you hop in, like sort of like we're moving forward. Now it seemed way too soon. I wasn't ready for that in any form or fashion, but I'm wondering, so do you think it's going to be Rebecca who takes control of throwing that cup away and being like, okay, we're moving forward? Or is it going to be some accidental, ignorant moment where nobody knew what whose cup that was or why it was in there and it gets tossed? If it's thrown away, it'll be by accident. It won't be Rebecca deciding the cup's time is over. Will uh, she bring the cup in the house or anything? What do you think is going to happen? No, it'll just be just, you know. Go clean out the car, kids, or you know something like that. Intrigue. Well, speaking of predictions, what do we think is coming for the remainder of the season? We are going to be away on a break because of the Olympics. So we are on a break from February 9th to February 25th for the Olympics. And then we come back for episodes 16, 17, and 18, which is February 27th, March 6th, and then the season finale, March 13th. I would say that's, that's in time for like a bachelor bachelorette party and a bridal shower probably and a wedding that's what i would think in three episodes and then i don't know where we'll get to on the other side i i'm wondering in the flashback side of things there is some deja stuff that we know has got to be coming because there's been some little tidbits and she did join randall back so something's some amount of our time is going to be sent spent figuring out Deja stuff. Uh Um, Will we revisit this time period right now? Or are we going to be starting season three? Maybe if if we're going to be talking about Rebecca and her journey, do we just leave this all where it is now and come back to it? Season three, where it's like sort of like, and then what happened to Rebecca right after the funeral and how did she move forward? It, the, the previews were not very telling. Not at all. Except that, they did show some Vietnam stuff. So it makes oh gosh, me we've got that too. Makes me wonder if the flashbacks are gonna be out of out of continuity with the funeral. Like they're not gonna be like post- So it's not it's not gonna cover the months between the section that I'm most sort of interested in for this next like quick chunk of Rebecca is really how do they get on their feet right away? I kind of feel like they're just going to sort of get through the last couple of months of school and get to graduation. Like, I don't think that there's going to be anything exciting or interesting about those months. Yeah. Um, and so I think we're going to get close to graduation. But so, but it makes sense sort of if that stuff 
is maybe after the summer and we come back and it's like it would be September when they should be starting colleges and stuff like that. And some are and some aren't. Yeah. Or something like that might make sense to pick up there yeah. and maybe do some flashing back to how those couple months went up to graduation. So that kind of seems like I'm going to say we might be putting that time frame on a shelf right now. And it seems like we're going to go back and visit some of the Nikki stuff. Certainly, we have to deal with Deja. And I definitely think that Kate and and Toby, where, where do you think that um, Kevin lies in this? If Randall's busy with Deja and Kate and Toby are getting married, what's going on with the Kevin storyline? Who or what Kevin, is happening? Kevin might become the super, the foreman at, at R&B, oh. right? Yeah, okay. Oh, do you think that they're going to somehow offer up Daisha and mom some sort of uh, apartment? Will it be William's apartment? Oh, geez. No, I think the mom doesn't figure into this. No? No. What if she's coming just to say something so simple as like, we don't have enough money for an apartment or something? What if it's not like I'm being beat? What if it's just more like, I'm not sure where to turn or what to do. Mom's really trying, but we just can't make ends meet. Hmm. That's very, that's like the most positive thing you could think of. I mean, <laughs> I'm thinking she's going to come back and say, mom's hanging out with drug dealers and robbers again. I don't know about all that. You we, you asked about Kevin. So that seemed to be, if he was interested in turning over this new leaf kind of thing, he might put acting on the back burner. Or maybe my idea about the reality, you know, apartment show would, uh, would fit into his future plans. It might make sense from the standpoint of like, they did put an outlay of money that was far more than expected with the bug tenting and the hotel and all that stuff where maybe they wouldn't have needed or been open to the idea of Kevin, like putting some money into it, but maybe the idea of turning it into some sort of something where Kevin's celebrity could come into play might actually make sense because their accounting can't quite be as good as they would have wanted to get started on this. Right. They've already lost all the money they would have made in the first three years. I'm right? afraid so. It's kind of it's kind of a mess. So, well, I very much enjoyed um, this entire three quarters season here that we got or more. It's a ton of season 15 out of 18 episodes. I feel like they did a good job with Jack's death. I feel like the concept of it being, you know, ordinary and those small moments versus, like you said, the house didn't explode with him inside or, you know, whatever, like an orangutan didn't run in the house and rip his head off or something just so insane. It was very, it was very average. Um, like I said, I am going to keep my eyes peeled, though. Like, I, I'm, I'm not going to feel like a really satisfied viewer if... Two things. One, I don't think I'm going to read or listen to a whole lot more of the hype. Like, I didn't like any of that business about uh, the creator saying um, this is going to change how you change the access on which you view the family or whatever. I, they, I love their writing and it's beautiful and poetic within the show. But the way they use it for hype is a little like it kind of ruins it for me because it, it makes me look for things that aren't necessarily there and it and it makes me I don't know like it it's like unwrapping the package in some weird way it's making me like oh you're not going to believe what's going to happen you're it's like it's like it. clickbait right kind you of, won't yeah. believe what happens next right? yeah and it's unnecessary because I won't believe what happens next when I see it anyway you didn't even have to say that so I do think that these last couple episodes have sort of turned me off to any of those interviews, I would be happy to read them with the actors and stuff, especially the after show stuff. Love that a lot. People are asking, where do you see those? And I always watch them on YouTube the day after, but you can look at them on the NBC app. But I really feel like there's a lot there that helps you answer questions. Like we found out that Milo had indeed recorded that 
Beck moment that was at the candy machine, I found that out after, you know, when we were like listening to the after show and that really like answered a question for us. So I really enjoy those, but I don't think I'm, I'm not going to busy myself with the hype. Um, How do you feel about all that? Some of it I can't help but run into. I'll, I'll read headlines, but it's rare that I read the whole story. Okay. So you've already kind of protected yourself. I mean, this show for me works on on a much more emotional level than other shows that we have podcasted. The Leftovers engaged us on all different kinds of levels, including emotion, but also intellectually and spiritually and all that other kind of stuff, right? Absolutely. So. so this one, though, uh, it's not that it doesn't make you think or anything like that, but like 80% of, of what I put into this show is uh, emotion. And so I don't need a lot of reading yeah, <laughs> you know, I appreciate that. in order to, to enhance my viewing because that's what this show is to me. I appreciate that. And I was actually surprised um, when we were watching both these last two episodes, how quiet we were in watching the episodes. And, you know, at one point I was like, are you okay? And you're sort of like, not really. <laughs> you know, we were both sort of like, I'm not really okay. Um, like, you know, it, it was, it's really heart wrenching. And especially I think because, you know, there were moments like when they said, you know, Rebecca's marriage of 21 years and, you know, you and I have been married almost 19 years and there's, there's so much similarities, um, to them and, and, and us. And as everyone feels, I'm sure that it's like, it's, it's just really unnerving, you know, cause we try to talk a little bit openly. I, mine's a total defense mechanism where I'll say, well, you know, someday you won't be here and you know, what will I do? And I don't see it to be like silly or funny. I do it as like, a, if I say it enough, then when it happens, it can't be quite as much of a shock, right? I somehow I will have prepared myself like, well, when it happens, I'll, I, I, I will have talked about it a hundred times. No, so. you'll be shocked as shit. <laughs> I know. Cause you're going to do something outlandish. It's going to be some sort of fireworks display that blows up in your fucking face. I'll be like, oh, I told you not to go back in. Like a totally one of those, right? <laughs> right. The fireworks stand is on fire and I hear barking coming out of there. I'm like, don't you dare. It's just a cassette tape. They play for security dog don't go in there <laughs> exactly you'll be like roo, roo, not good fall not right. good oh gosh well we hope you guys have enjoyed everything that we're talking about we've been getting some great listener feedback and a lot of great interactions on so many shows.com as well as our facebook page dailyreview.com yeah shout out to ellen with her faithful uh, checking in. Yeah, I love it. Ellen, keep talking to us, man. She's sending us letter after letter after each conversation. And I hope that everyone who does that feels like we are really listening and paying attention. We always write back. We always chit chat about you guys. So please feel free to tell us what you think and let us know if we're like missing stuff or if we've caught stuff that you didn't hear. We'd love, love, love to hear what you guys have to think. So thank you guys so much. Also, hey, listen, uh, so many shows is going to start doing Monday through Friday radio show that Daily Review is going to be a part of on Tuesday evenings. We are going to talk with you guys a little bit about what we'll be talking about for the various shows we're watching and what you might see next. And uh, we've got a bunch of different co-hosts that are going to be talking about TV, uh, 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock Eastern time, Monday through Friday. So we really hope you guys check it out. It's called So Many Shows On Air and it's radio. You can also hit it up through so many shows.com. Thanks so much for listening, you guys. Thanks a lot. Catch us on iTunes or your preferred podcast software. Our website, dailyreview.com, that's D-A-L-E-Y review.com. Facebook, 
or Twitter or wherever you find us, please leave us a comment and a rating to let us know what you think of the show. Thanks for listening, pot people. Thanks for listening to my mom and dad. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Just go home, folks.